Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode 154 of the Feelin' Film podcast. I'm Aaron, and here with me, as always, is my best friend and co-host, Patch. Hey, everyone. But we also have a special returning guest joining us for this conversation. He is Mr. Patrick Willems, and we are so happy to have you back on the show, my friend. Hey, guys. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you were last with us on our episode literally about exactly a year ago, I think, at this time, uh, for A Quiet Place. And that was really great to have you, and so we're excited to be able to get your thoughts on Captain Marvel. But I know that you have had a very busy last 12 months, and so I wondered if you would fill us in on what you've been up to creatively. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, it's funny putting it that way, because for me, it seems like the last 12 months have basically just been kind of a straight line. It's like, yeah, I've just been making a lot of YouTube videos and uh, and working really hard and uh, not sleeping enough. And um, that's that's pretty much it. It's just been, you know, churning out the videos. Uh, the grind never ends. And um, I'm you know, uh, that's what I was working on until like five minutes ago when we jumped on Skype to record this. So uh, that's a really boring description of my last 12 months. Just but yeah, <laughs> but that's pretty much been it. I'm just making videos on a regular basis what is your favorite <laughs> video that you've made in the last 12 months do you have one uh yes Which yes one? i do um i'm it, i think it's gotta be i did this this really uh intense two-part uh deep dive on the entire filmography of michael bay uh it's called uh michael bay a true american auteur and um it's basically like i've I've been sort of a weird Michael Bay defender for many years. Uh, despite all his problems, I think he's interesting and worth studying. And so this is me being like, you know what? I'm going to make my definitive statement on Michael Bay. In total, the two parts add up to an hour. It goes into everything from like his commercials and music videos to like every movie he's ever made. And that's uh, trying to like figure out like who this guy is. And uh, I'm I'm really happy with how that went. And I. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was an intense like month or so of work, but that's probably the one that's my favorite. Well, you should be proud of that because as I think we talked about this on the uh, the last time you were here about possibly having a having a special episode discussion on Michael Bay and why we you did, should. You're right, and that still needs to happen. And I yes. think in light of your your two part video series, uh, it definitely needs to happen. It's been one of my favorites of of the stuff that you've put out, and it's. It's definitely gotten me more appreciative of Michael Bay, maybe not enjoyable for him as a director, but I can definitely nod my head and go, yep, yep, I agree with that. Still That's like all him. I ask. I agree with it, yeah. And so, but I, but I really, it reminded me that we need to have that conversation because I think it would be really, really good. Oh, I, I am always ready to talk Bay. I agree. I, I really enjoyed that one as well. I, I mean, especially just because it's you're taking a director that is so generally panned and reminding people that he is doing things with intention so whether they enjoy them or not it is not accidental he is not just out there throwing things out there to see what happens like i'm just lucky to be a director like he's doing things with a purpose even if we don't yeah. necessarily like that purpose right this is a, yeah. it's a guy who is very skilled uh who has a very 
clear view of the world that he is expressing through cinema. And uh, and yeah, and that that like look, I don't like all his movies, um, but I think they're they're all worth he's he's worth studying. Mm-hmm. Like it's not. You know, I wish the Criterion Collection would just stop trying to bury the fact that they have two of his movies in there and just, you know, put them back into print. Two of the best movies ever. Two <laughs> movies in my personal top 100, actually. Those would be the masterpieces of Armageddon and The Rock, folks, if you did not know. It's That's true. Right. Well, there, there, there is some positive conversation coming from us because we like to keep things positive (laughs) even with michael bay in that if you listen to our ff plus episode from last week we did make a suggestion that michael bay should dive into the world of hallmark movies and give those some higher production value because they're kind of missing that along with some of the netflix stuff that try to be blockbusters but don't have that michael bay touch and we're like just do just do hallmark to start yourself out and then see if you can do some of the some of the networky type stuff as a director oh i I would i would just like empty my bank account to see I, Michael Bay make I a Hallmark would too. movie. Me too. A hundred percent. It's so good. I would embrace that fully. Cool, man. Well, I'm glad. Uh, yeah, we, we've really enjoyed all your videos up until now. Uh, your mission impossible stuff was one of my favorites of the last 12 months as well. I had a blast getting the extra, you know, deep dive that you did on that when fallout came out. Um, Thank you. So what, what is your, where can people find your channel? Just, we'll have you plug it again at the end, but just in case, you know, people of don't course. make it that far. <laughs> um, it's it's youtube.com slash Patrick H. Willems. Uh, I mean, the only other Patrick Willems, if you just Google my name, is uh, a Belgian scientist. So it's it's <laughs> you're probably not going to confuse us. Um, and I don't think he has a YouTube channel. So, yeah, it's pretty easy to find. Outstanding. We'll drop that in the show notes to listeners. So if you just want to click on that, you can quickly get there, hit subscribe. And I think it's I don't know how the lingo is these days. But you hit the bell. Is that what you do? Ring the bell to make sure that, you get notified. That's it. Yeah, I always forget to remind people to do that. But uh, yeah, subscribe, hit the bell, smash that like button. There as we the go. Kids say, <laughs> awesome. Well, we have gathered here today not to talk about Michael Bay, but to talk about the newest comic book flick, and that is Brie Larson's Captain Marvel. It took Marvel 21 films to finally have a female superhero lead. And they really do seem to be course correcting hard by introducing her to fill a critical role in both the present and the future of the MCU. This makes expectations extremely high for this origin story. I think it really expects for it to let audience get to know a brand new character, but also have them become attached enough that they're ready for the huge impact that she is likely going to have in the upcoming Avengers Endgame. So there's a lot to talk through. And we're all definitely excited to do this. So, listeners, here's your obligatory spoiler warning. Turn away now if you have not seen the movie or if you want to experience it fresh, which we all three recommend. I'm going to go ahead and speak for my co-hosts. And you've been warned, and off we go. All right. One word takeaways. Patrick, we're going to throw it to you as the guest pretty much first on everything. So what was yours? My one word takeaway was relief. Uh, like you said, Aaron, uh, there was a lot riding on this movie because, you know, it it took Marvel so long to get around to making a movie, you know, with a female lead. This movie got delayed uh, multiple times. It was they they had it. Uh, they like I think they were working on a script for it since 2013. Um, and so and also just in terms of, 
this as like an ongoing franchise. Uh, you know, this is a character. I mean, obviously, it looks like a lot of the original superheroes are going to be probably uh, like ending their tenure soon. And so uh, Captain Marvel is really vital for the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe to carry this forward. And um, as much as I, I really wish this didn't have to happen. This movie became this sort of like cultural battleground uh, because a lot of really fragile, whiny dudes seem to take it as an attack on white men. And um, and I really hate that this can't just be a normal movie. We can't. I, I wish this could have just been, you know, oh, it's like the next Marvel movie. Fine. But no, it, like it became this thing where, oh, it, like this movie basically it, it like if this were a disappointment or if this ended up being like the worst Marvel movie, it would, I feel like there would be like cultural consequences to it. And, um, and so there, I, so yeah. So when I saw it and I thought, I don't think this is one of the best Marvel movies. I think it's like maybe lower to mid tier, but I say that as someone who enjoys the vast majority of them. But, um, I think I, I liked it. I think it's pretty good. And I was just relieved that it was pretty good and um, and that it's doing well and most people seem to like it. And it's like, great, it works. The character works. Uh, we, we've like we've gotten past like the first hurdle and uh, the, the biggest hurdle. And um, and yeah, and that's the thing I was going in just being like, I just I really I really hope it's good. That's uh you know, that's it. It's going to be really like a more of a bummer than with an, a, another Marvel movie if it's not. And yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it, <laughs> I feel like I should go in with like higher expectations and like greater hopes. But but afterwards, I was like, huh, thank God it was good. Yeah, yeah. totally, totally agree. And it's like 450 million plus worldwide opening weekend. Good. So it oh, is, it's, it's doing fine. Incredibly good. It is the highest box office for a female led film in history like not just superhero like ever so it is doing amazing as far as people's embracing of going to see it at the very least so it's crazy to see that like you know uh tanking it's like rotten tomatoes user score didn't seem to have an effect wow uh, amazing right yeah shocking Take that for no nobody nobody that would do that is listening to this show though I right so. <laughs> exactly well, well patch um hopefully I can keep calling you that throughout the episode so I don't get you too confused patch 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 what is your one more takeaway <laughs> well to use nineties slang um in addition to how I would probably have described Brie Larson as a nineties adolescent the word fine kept coming to mind as I left the theater and I believe I kind of hinted that to you um afterwards after I got out of it. Words like safe and relaxed were also a close second and third for me. And it ties into a little bit of what you were saying, Patrick, that I don't know that I felt relief, but I'm not necessarily a person that's like, oh my gosh, this has to be amazing. And when it comes to superhero movies, even with what Infinity War did for me personally in terms of appreciating and kind of elevating, vaulting, whatever the word is, superhero movies to a new level for me, I have still known that I have a little bit of superhero fatigue. So Captain Marvel was never going to be like, man, I hope they really show a strong female lead here. or I hope they don't get misogynistic or whatever the, the thing is. I don't want to follow that pathway. I just want to enjoy the movie. And that's exactly what I did. I am. I, I enjoyed it for what it was. And for me, uh, Marvel 
movies work just fine this way. I mean, it hit all the familiar notes and themes that a decent origin story has. Lots of good humor mixed with a little bit of light drama. And overall, just that fun movie experience. The thing is, 10 years ago, that would have been fantastic coming out of the theater. And this is the product of the successful machine that we know as the MCU. You have a bar that gets elevated and elevated and elevated. And so this would be on par with something like an Iron Man or even, I'm going to dare say it, the Incredible Hulk. Um, but with a movie like this, because of what came before it and what what's coming after it with Endgame, Carol Danvers and Captain Marvel potentially has this ability to change the universe. But it doesn't feel like that to me. It felt like just sort of another entry into the MCU and kind of a, a step forward, kind of a... I don't want to call it a long trailer for for Endgame, but I but I will say or I will say this that a lot of people cheered during parts of the movie that weren't part of the actual narrative. I'm talking about, of course, the the Stan Lee tribute at the beginning, and then you know the mid credit sequence. But I didn't really feel like there was a lot of weight to Larson as a as a in her character and her mission. All this stuff that she's potentially going to go through, it sort of eventually got there, but it never felt like wow that was. Hmm, that's a nice prerequisite to, to Endgame, especially with what we know she's going to do. So it was fine. And I'm okay with that. But it kind of made me go, okay, let's get ready for Endgame. That was a good kind of teaser for us to get ready for what I think most of the entire world is going to be ready for. Right. Well, I can't help but like hear Aerosmith saying it when you say fine. So you should, you should spell it out next time. You actually use my one word takeaway in there somewhere, and that is potential. Um, I came out of this thinking that Captain Marvel showed a heck of a lot of potential. So for me, it was not anywhere near the two-star worst MCU film that I've seen thrown around out there. And it's also nowhere near the four and a half or five star masterpiece that I've seen it lauded to be. It really does, like you said, Patrick, sit firmly in the middle of the MCU for me, kind of towards the back of the middle. And I think it's a fun adventure and it has quite a few issues that keep it from being anything more than that. But I was pleased to see that the messages of female empowerment in this really did actually work for me. They didn't. I was really nervous that they were going to come off too heavy handed or in a way that felt unnatural to the characters, but I enjoyed the way that it was woven into the film. And I think that the relationships and the emotional progression of this story and the characters by the end of this movie had me invested enough that I was able to walk out of it having enjoyed the experience. Origin stories are always going to be difficult though. And I think that Captain Marvel is nowhere near the strongest one that Marvel has to offer. But I was smiling. I was ready to see how Carol Danvers might grow and how she's going to impact the future of the MCU. Like you said, Patch, like it, this movie in and of itself served as a really good trailer for me for what she might be like. But it wasn't good on its own. Necessi- it wasn't great on its own for what she is now. So sounds like we're all kind of pretty close, honestly, and, and in the same ballpark. I saw the, the star ratings for us all previous to this, and I thought this might be the case. So should be interesting. Well, what I've done, guys, is I've broken this down into kind of like sections and 
and big main ways to look at the film. And I want us to talk about them and, and go through it in these different areas. And the first one is how does Captain Marvel work as a comic book film fitting into the rest of the MCU? So I want to talk about this movie and how it plays completely outside of its cultural implications. Like you mentioned, Patrick, we're going to talk about those. But I want to say, like, how did it work if you take that out of it? If you don't think about the fact that this is the first female superhero movie, it's just another in the long line of female superhero movies you've seen before. How did it work as a, as a Marvel film for you? Um, So it's funny that we're doing this now uh, because I'm currently in the thick of a, a big MCU video project. Uh, I released the first part of it uh, about a week and a half ago and – Part two comes out in like, I don't know, three or four days. And uh, and so where so I've revisited all of these movies, mostly for the first time since they were in theaters. And uh, and so I've been and this whole project has basically been trying to figure out like a personal like solve a personal kind of crisis I've been having for the first, the past year, which is uh, realizing that like while the MCU is pretty much like as a lifelong comic book fan, like everything I ever wanted, I. Uh, Realizing that I like pretty much all these movies, but I don't really love any of them. And uh, they're like the vast majority of them are good, but I don't feel any of them like reached the level of great. And I think there are and there is a sort of like homogenous nature to a lot of the Marvel movies. And Captain Marvel, uh, for better and for worse, feels very much like a Marvel movie. It looks like a Marvel movie. It has the tone of a Marvel movie. Uh, it has the like fan servicey Easter eggs of a Marvel movie. Um, it, it it is in pretty much every way. And uh, and so and I guess you know that's that's pretty much what I what I expected. I didn't think it was going to do a whole lot more than that. And um, I think that's fine. Yeah, yeah, I look at this as a as kind of a nice visual spectacle for the consistency that Marvel has become over the last probably two or three years in terms of what I would call maybe a proper use of CGI. I don't think that a lot of the Marvel movies get knocked for their use of CGI, especially when compared to maybe other properties. But I think that I definitely felt like I was in a world of fantasy when I started watching this. And it was the way it started, the way that the colors pop off the screen the way in which we have just a lot of high action, maybe not the best choreographed action, but definitely a lot of just very energetic scenes. And of course, the humor was on par. I mean, there were maybe to a fault, there were definitely scenes between Carol and Fury that always, to me, felt like an extended SNL sketch because they were just purposefully humorous. And like even the opening fight with, with Jude Law, really kind of literally set the tone for what the movie was going to be. I, I think I mentioned to you, Aaron, that was it supposed to be hokey? Was it, is that how what we were going for? And if it was, then there was very much a success to it, but I feel like it kind of bordered on that. And so when I've read comics in the past, particularly in the Marvel property, I get that. I feel that, that there's a sense of hokiness, humor, and light drama, unless there's a big event that's taking place or, there's a particular character that's going to always be brooding in some way, shape or form. So I feel like for this, particularly for a Marvel film, this is definitely on par 
um, at least middle ground with what other Marvel movies have done. So it's definitely consistent with that. I would agree. And I do think that there are moments of this movie that feel very hokey. I liked that word. Um, and it's, I, I think this is what happens with the character when you have an origin story for someone who you don't necessarily get to know very well throughout the course of the movie. There are only bits and pieces of Captain Marvel's backstory that we learn, and they are generally given to us by someone else telling her who she is versus her kind of experiencing things over the course of the film. She doesn't really, I don't feel like she experiences that much. So it's a little bit different in that regard, but the action in this, you know, you said wasn't necessarily the best choreographed. I would go as far as to say that some of it was the like bad, like the worst choreographed. I felt like in the beginning of the film, especially for me, the first third of this was just not very good. I, I didn't enjoy anything up until they got into Earth. It felt dark and poorly lighted to me. I felt like they were in a fog and, and I couldn't see the characters well on the other planet. And the fight scenes, including up to the train, they felt like very intentionally handy cam, shaky cam, Russo attempts, but they weren't Russo quality, if that makes sense. Like the, they were, they were all over the place and the action was so fast that I couldn't follow it well. And it felt like exactly like what the Russos would do. Only I could actually follow it if it was the Russos. So I had issues with that. Um, and it just didn't, it didn't land for me. I felt like the movie was shot in a lot of close up. I don't know if you guys noticed that or felt that, but I, I always felt like the characters were taking up like the entire screen with their heads a lot of times. That was strange for me. But yeah, the CGI, I think, was just fine, you know, for a Marvel movie. Like I didn't have really any problems with it. The de-aging specifically of Nick Fury, I thought was incredible. Samuel I mean, that's, re that's really impressive. That, I mean, that yeah, was, yeah, I agree. And not so much on Clark Gregg, but Sam Jackson looks, I mean, he looks like, you know, long kiss, good night era Sam Jackson. He really does. I mean, it, it is phenomenal. Like I, you would believe he was just, that was him. Um, how far we've come since, who was it? Emperor, uh, not Emperor Palpatine. Um, who was it in Rogue One that I just took me oh, out of well, completely? General I mean, Tarkin. General yeah. Tarkin. Peter yeah. Cushing. I mean, that's a totally CGI face and yeah. that, that was a poor choice. That's true. You don't have an actual actor to back, like live at the time to back that up off of. But, um, yeah, so I really like that. Even Ronan, Ronan was even sounded different. It, it was so different for me with when Ronan showed up that I had the first thing I did when we got out of the movie was have my daughter Google to see if it was actually Lee Pace because I thought it was a different actor. Um, but it wasn't, it was the same one. Well, so, Lee, Pace, Lee Pace's voice is very significant and very distinct. And, but I guess you could have used his voice in with an actor, but why would you do that if you could already get his voice? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, it worked for me. I enjoyed the fan service in this one a lot. I think that's one of the things I liked the most about it was finding out how Nick lost his eye, even though it was a bit anticlimactic for me. I wanted it to mean more. Like I knew how it was. I kind of guessed how it was going to happen. I think we all did, but I wanted it to be more impactful in a sense. Did anybody it's else fun. feel that way? It's funny you say that. I, I was having, I was, <laughs> I did discuss this movie on another podcast, on, on uh, my own podcast earlier today. Yeah. So I, I've had these similar discussions and some of the fan service actually really frustrated me. I, I, I felt some of it, especially near the end, in particular, a moment at the very end 
uh, pretty much crossed into, like, solo territories of, like, winky prequel stuff for me. Like, I did not need to know where Nick Fury got the idea for the name Avengers. That that felt like an explanation that no one was asking for and uh, just really pointless. Um, I felt like the the I thing was kind of a missed opportunity. Uh, I I I get that they probably like wanted to make it something not cool, but I uh, but I I just for me it didn't really add anything to the movie. If if you're like just when the cat actually scratched him, I kept thinking like, wait, is that it? Is is that is that really gonna be it? That's it's it, just yeah. it's just a cat scratching him. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, again, like, a, a, I I would have been totally fine if there was no answer to to what happened to his eye if he just had two working eyes at the end of the movie. So yeah. uh, there were just uh, just a couple times where it kind of I I mean, but also like. I didn't need to even see the Tesseract. I over all these Marvel movies, I got kind of tired of just like, oh, the glowing thing that people are chasing. And I was relieved for a while, and I was like, oh, hey, it's a Marvel movie that's not about trying An to Infinity stop Infinity Stone. <laughs> yeah, trying to stop a boring bad guy from getting a glowing thing that will do a thing. And uh, and then when the Tesseract showed up, I was like, ah, oh, man, there's, we, the, we there's so, that glowing thing. Right? We, we were there's... so close, but I was I was glad that it, it didn't like. The plot wasn't all about the Tesseract. Yeah, and as a as a filmmaker, you look at this and you go, okay, how do you how do you craft a story around a character who has the kind of importance that Carol Danvers does, but without making the story overly complex? And quite honestly, that's how you do it. You have a thing that you have to get. What I did like, though, was the way in which the narrative played out and the twistiness of it. Like, I didn't see what what came later. I didn't see that coming. And that was very refreshing for me. And so but when I look at like what you guys are talking about, it wasn't I didn't really care as much about the Easter eggs because the Marvel Universe is so big. It's it's like having those event stories that you read in comics and you're like, I I don't have the brain power to enjoy all of these different things that you're throwing at me because. Even though I saw this, I saw this 10 years ago. And one thing I did notice, I think, I don't know if it was E-Man who put it online or somebody did in our, in our Facebook group as one of the comments, but it was the, it was the comment that Banner makes in Avengers about the Tesseract. What does he want me to do? Eat it? You know, and we thought it was, and I was like, was, was that, was the thing with Goose, was that something kind of a call back to Avengers? I, I guess it was. And I thought that was kind of smart because otherwise, you know, the moments with Goose, I apologize, Aaron, were not my favorite, and it seemed kind of, ID, I mean, Men in Black esque, and I, which I think was intentional because this felt like a '90s action movie. It felt like something that you'd say, "Okay, well, that was unexpected, but not necessarily out of the realm of possibility that yeah. Goose would do something like that." And so I, I thought those kinds of moments were pretty smart, but yeah, I could have done without the Avengers you know, thing in there as well. Yeah. And, and I've seen, so that I can go, but I can go both, both ways on that. Like it makes sense to me that thematically, I think the writing is still the overall structure of Marvel's universe. Writing is very sound. The, the bits work together. It wouldn't be surprising a bit, Patrick, if you know, you're right. And the nod of eating the Tesseract comes from a previous film. Like that's the kind of things that they, they do remember and they bring into their movies later. 
the naming of the Avengers after her makes sense in a way. If that's truly when they got named, it does feel also a bit over the top when you look at it through the lens of what its statement is as a message movie of, yeah, we named all the Avengers after her. You know, she's kind of the first Avenger in a way, but no, not really. but Captain America is because you just titled it Captain America, it, the first it, Avenger. So that's my point. Good. Yeah, that's my point. And so, so I, I see that and how it can be kind of, kind of awkward. Um, I, I love Goose. I'm sorry. I, Goose I'm for with me you. is, is phenomenal. And it's not just because I'm a capper. Yeah, probably it's just because I'm a capper. Maybe it is. I mean, I will say I'm, I'm not even, I'm not like a, I think cats are fun. Okay. Um, and I and Goose was one of my favorite parts of the movie, uh, but but for me like I am always wanting Marvel movies to get weirder, and uh, and like like the weirder the better, and uh, and so and I like that the whole time the cat is there and you know and they keep dropping hints that there's something up with the cat, and you and you and well granted I've I've read Captain some Captain Marvel comics so like I I I knew what Goose was. But the but still, I like the way that it was like they they kind of like built it up and built it up, and you're like, what is the deal with this cat? And it was so out there and so like suddenly shockingly weird that that was the most delighted I was at any moment of the movie. I was so happy, and and I, I thought like it was executed and shot perfectly. It was, and because of Samuel L. Jackson too, like the reaction he gives is the perfect audience reaction. To what he has been seeing, because he is our he's our link to our addiction for cats and our love of these furry creatures. Like he loves the cat throughout the whole movie, and so we feel and relate to him. And then he gets to be shocked, and we're just like right there with him. Like what just happened? You could probably say we are his other eye in this case. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I went there. I went there. Ring the um, bell. Sorry. What about '90s references? So this movie is one big '90s commercial from the soundtrack to. You know, Carol Danvers' Nine Inch Nails t-shirt that she wears basically for most of the movie. Did the 90s aesthetic work for you guys? What about you, Patrick? Um, for me, I'm mixed on it. Uh, as, look, I'm a 90s kid. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of like the set dressing and stuff like that, you know, I, made me feel good, made me feel nostalgic for my childhood. Um, I, I did get a, a huge kick out of just like the, looking, just picking apart the frame and the background when she was in the blockbuster. When I was like, "Oh, there's a VHS copy of the Hudsucker Proxy. I love it. I'm I'm so in." Um, the the only aspect of the, the '90s stuff that I have an issue with actually uh, are the music choices, which frustrates me because going into this movie, I was I was all about like. I, I hope they have a soundtrack, you know, using like needle drops like from the 90s. There's so much like so much potential uh, for that, so much good stuff they could pull from. And the the music cues felt to me largely like like the producers sort of handed the directors just a list of here are seven popular 90s songs with female vocalists. You, you like use them at various points throughout the movie like. Almost none of the needle drops felt like they meant anything to me. I mean, uh, an obvious comparison is if you look at like Guardians of the Galaxy, and um, and they have like uh, they have like significance to the main character, and and they like they're they're used so deliberately, and each song is used very deliberately, and to evoke a, like a tone, and to have like an emotional resonance, 
And um, and here it just felt like, well, here's Waterfalls by TLC, because that was a song that was out at the time. I hear and and it just frustrated me because there was so much potential and it really just felt like just a grab bag of of random songs. And uh, and uh, that that said, uh, friends that I that I was with, uh, you know, were, were thrilled uh, when various songs would come on. And so I can't take that away from them. They, they it, it clearly worked for a bunch of people. I just I, I just really wanted that 90s soundtrack to just, you know, uh, to just mean more. Yeah, I think when you mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy and I think of Edgar Wright's Baby Driver, where music has such a prominent purpose. And when you use popular songs in movies, you're either doing one or two things. You're setting the tone for that particular scene or you're setting the tone for the entire movie. Or in Edgar Wright's case, you're creating a cinematic beat. And so he does it more deliberately than I think any other director in that he creates he uses it as almost a supporting actor, but really good music, popular music is done well when it totally fits a scene, when it's essentially helping tell that scene's story. And I agree. I felt like we're kind of listening to a jukebox while action is taking place. The best times to me that music was used was when they were it was part of background noise, when it was during a conversation and it became ambient. It sort of window dress the rest of the scene as opposed to trying to say here's what's going on here and particularly the the big fight sequence with the uh the no doubt song just felt like okay i i don't think that works like you're trying to you're and and it made it funny which i think it was supposed to be but it almost made it like okay when's the real drama gonna happen now because something big has to happen in order to get us to a resolution this feels like kind of a throwaway fight what I did, what I liked a lot was the tech references because the 90s for me were all about the dial up modem, were all about the floppy disk and the CD ROM that took forever and a day to load. And those moments, I love the fact that we get a scene where, where Carol is on Alta Vista doing her search and it takes forever and a day to load the page. And then she leaves the cafe and you see at the very top, there is a sign that says, uh, world's fastest or nation's fastest uh, dial-up yeah, yeah. or internet speed. That's what I grew up on. I was a I love I grew I loved 80s music and 70s music, but the thing that I remember from the 90s more than anything else was all the tech because I grew up as an early internet baby. I was all about being on Aristotle and burning through the 50 cents an hour um, account that my parents set up for me, and they had to say, "Wait, we've got to switch over to something that's just a flat rate because you're on it too much." I was on BBS's chat rooms, doing all that kind of stuff. And so those things really gave me chuckles and made me go, yeah, that's the 90s right there of waiting for the CD load. And to me, that's where my nostalgia really stuck. Yeah, I I don't know. Those were hit or miss for me. When they stopped the movie to essentially watch the computer screen as it was loading, I was like, I get it, but my goodness, you're taking me out of a movie. This is a movie. This is a flow to this, and you're just like killing it because you want us to watch and have this Windows joke about how long it takes to load, and we all remember that. Millennials don't, okay? Let me just say that, okay? Hey, that's true. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I like the music mostly. I didn't necessarily, I would agree completely with Patrick that it is not in the spots like there's not it's not meaningful necessarily to the spots where you hear things come up but just hearing those songs in the film 
gave me that spark of nostalgia. And I was like, oh, now I can't get, you know, garbage and only happy when it rains out of my head for the next week after seeing this movie. Um, and then, of course, the No Doubt song. I think that's going to be very hotly contested. I know quite a few females that think it is perfect and absolutely love it. And so that's a win for them in my book. And I'm happy to say I'm fine with it not being a, you know, love it moment for me because I think it connected well with the audience that it really needed to, um, the most. And so that was pretty good. But yeah, I, that song more than any, I expected to be in this movie. I, uh, can I just add one little note to the music discussion? Of course. Because this is something that I thought of earlier today and it seems like a big missed opportunity. So Carol left earth in 1989 and they and in the little like glimpses of her past they so show her like singing karaoke they show a ticket stub from a guns and roses concert and so she actually does have a connection to some music and and the idea of like presenting that there and then not uh dropping like a guns and roses music cue like throw november rain into like a you know like a big climactic scene and and that mm-hmm. and that is both a 90s song and act and uh, by a band that has like an emotional resonance with the main character. Absolutely. And I'm just like, it's right there. Yeah. Like, c- come on, guys. Yeah. And there yeah. there are a couple of scenes in particular that that song would work. And it may even if you were going to elevate music to an even further level, it could have helped jog her memory of her past a little bit more. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, I agree. Actually, music can be a storytelling device. Yeah. That Go like figure. A, sounds like a video series to me. <laughs> if you need a guest on there, you need to, a, need to find somebody it. who makes good YouTube video essays to put that together. I'll put. All a right. note, I'll put a pin in that. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> well, let's jump into the the cultural conversation part of this. And how does Captain Marvel work as Marvel's first female-led superhero? film and you mentioned this in your one word takeaway patrick about that there could be cultural consequences if this movie failed in this way um unfortunately so do you think it was successful in what its intention was and do you think that overall it's going to be looked at as and like a well done manifestation of feminism in the mcu i do yeah. And uh, and again, because of all those questions, this was, you know, there was so much riding on it. But also I can imagine how tricky this must have been to put together because it has to be all of these things. And um, and there's this line to straddle where it's like, you know, uh, how much does the movie or is the story going to be about her being a woman? And um, and I think they made a smart move by not really. Uh, having it be about that it's like yes she has been like manipulated by men and stuff like that but uh like uh, a her sort of like third act moment of, of triumph comes from her being human not her being a woman and so like her gender doesn't really play into it which i think was a smart move um and actually what struck me as i think uh pretty noteworthy is that um as opposed to pretty much all the other uh marvel origin movies there's no love interest they nice. bypassed that entirely, which I, um, I mean, look, I don't think the movie needed it at all, and uh, and I think that was also uh, a a pretty cool uh, choice on their part, 
but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it is in a lot of ways, a relatively formulaic Marvel origin movie. And the fact that, you know, they can make one of those with a female protagonist, not make a huge, uh, like it within the movie, not make a huge deal about the fact that she's a female protagonist uh, and, and have it work, I think is a triumph. So it's again, like I, I can't imagine the weight that was on the shoulders of the filmmakers making this. And despite issues I have with the movie, I, I think, I think they accomplished like the heavy lifting. They got the really important stuff done. And yeah, again, like I, I wish it didn't have to be this cultural battleground I, w- I wish there didn't have to be more weight on this than any other marvel movie but um but i think even with the extra pressure i think it works i do too and i think it was very safe and the fact that you mentioned the that ending sequence where she doesn't say i am a woman and she says i am human instead i thought that was probably both from a narrative standpoint and a cultural standpoint that was part of the smartest move because it would have come across as really heavy-handed very on the nose and where I find issue with some of the movie is some of its on the nose moments. The female aspect of this, I think gives that cultural significance a little bit more weight because you're not preaching to an audience at that point. You're letting the audience enjoy the fact that she is a superheroic woman and a superhero first. Well, and I guess a woman at the same time, I can't, I I don't know what neither one really give, more weight to the other she is both she's both for all three she's a human she's a female and she's a superhero which i think is what makes marvel characters who they are and that they are ordinary people that give are given superheroic powers her entrance into the mcu i think not only i think it unfairly has cultural weight because it has cinematic weight as well she is sort of being billed as the one who can defeat thanos because of her power. And I think that that could have the tendency to attach feminism to it, which I think is kind of a, this is me being a white guy saying this, just a standard dude. I think that's a dumb move because I think it gives unnecessary pressure to that character that she's strong enough as a character, not just as an actress, but she's strong enough as a character that the, the plot itself, the narrative and her place in the universe could help elevate her her femaleness equally with her superheroics. Does that make sense? Where I don't feel yeah. like she has to be a strong female lead in order to be significant as a superhero. I think she can be both and let one benefit the other or they mutually benefit one another. And I don't know that she'll come across as being like, oh, it's the woman that saves the day in Endgame. I think she will be, as we're hinted at in the end of the movie, she'll be another Avenger. She'll have a significance in there and she'll bring something different that these other Avengers have not been able to do. But at the same time, she she is significant and she is a part of that as well. As a character, though, I think from from this movie, I thought she could be stronger. I mean, all that being said, I felt like she kind of rode the world of kind of flat in terms of bringing me into her world. Um, her origin story was uniquely told, but I'd never felt like, man, this is a big weight to bear for Carol Danvers. And I, I felt like there should be more to that. I did too. And that's where I came away really conflicted because I don't, like I said in mine, one more takeaway, I got there by the end because at the end of the film, the person that 
Carol Danvers has become and the empowered nature of her and what she remembers, who she, who she is or who she was and she, her relationships. That's the character that I want to see in a movie, a full length feature film. But the journey to get there was a struggle for me at times because it felt like people came out of this saying she was emotionless, like Brie Larson was emotionless acting. She was emotionless acting because she didn't know who the heck she was. Like it was intentional. It's by design. So it's not like the movie did it wrong or the acting was poor. It's just that's how the story went. Right. And I didn't necessarily love that aspect of the story. Um, we, yeah. we met her right away and she's also snarky. Like the very first scene when she's sparring with Jude Law, she's your typical quippy, snarky, Marvel superhero character. And she doesn't ever really change at all. Yeah. Like she just learns that she had a past on earth and that she was mm -hmm. human, but she stills that same person at the end of the film. Yeah. And I think that's probably where my biggest criticism comes in is that she didn't really have an arc. She just gets a more information like we do as an audience. And I think that that woodenness, that that stoicness that works for her because of who her character is kind of goes a little against some of the humor. I mean, I get her snarkiness and I like the delivery of the dialogue. It's it's the same thing that I felt when watching Thor Ragnarok. I loved all the humor. I loved the jokes and I loved the conversations. But because of the fact that we start off with her being really snarky during that opening fight sequence. And then we see her sitting down with with Fury at the uh, at the bar and making those kinds of comments. It's funny to listen to and it's enjoyable, but it didn't feel balanced. Like we have this stoic woman who it's almost like she was delivering comedic lines and she was doing it well. But I felt like she was actually acting. I didn't feel like we were getting someone who was either using humor to sort of hide some of her frustration and some of the confusion that she had about her misguided past or misunderstood past. I never felt like she was a, a character who had an aha moment or who her blurred past was enough to you know, give her some kind of trauma. I never felt like she had that kind of weight. I felt like... She was just on the journey with us as an audience going, oh, OK, so that's what happened to her. OK, cool. And she was still there was no difference in her throughout the movie. Like nothing. I don't feel like she really like learned something by the end of the of the movie. Well, I did like the way that the female empowerment message came across personally. So the way that it plays out largely with Jude Law's character of. His name is Yonrog, I believe. Is that yeah. correct? Um, the only white Cree in the universe. I don't even get me started. Uh, we had this big Facebook discussion group thing about why he was a white-faced or white-skinned Cree, and the rest of them are blue. Well, um, I, I, Draymond Hansu was there, except too. for Hansu, who remained African American. It was very awkwardly weird to have um, these different races. I. Uh, I know a little bit about this. I, I did a bit of research, and um, and there's a difference between like the native Cree species and the Cree people, and so so that's how. So like the blue people are like, you know, 
born Cree, born Cree, and you know, and non yeah, like immigrants. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like the Navi, immig- like immigrating the Cree. Yeah, <laughs> he just he just got his uh, he took his Cree citizenship test and passed it. <laughs> yeah. So okay, well, that, okay, then I I'll just deal with that, I guess. But anyway, Yonrog. So the way in which he is portrayed as this example of a patriarchy that is telling her how emotional response is bad and that she has to control that in order to reach her full potential. And the way in which the story essentially is telling this lesson about how the world does control people, how especially women have been told how they should or should not act in order. And it all boils down to an essence of control um, to, uh, to, to tell them where they're going to be and what they're going to do. And, you know, I mean, goes right back to you're supposed to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. That's essentially what this character is doing, but he's not telling her that directly as you're a woman and you're being too emotional. And I love that that's not specifically pointed out. Um, and that makes it work better for me. And it, and it works really well towards the end when she has that great moment with him I love that she helps him up too. For me, that was huge. The fact that after she knocks him out of, you know, the, the, just hits him into the freaking mountainside, she goes over and she like offers him a hand up, right? Like she doesn't just walk away. It's, it's almost like a, I've shown you now that, that I'm not going to take your crap anymore, but I don't need to just beat you into a pulp for your, the way that you've treated me kind of thing. I don't know. I enjoyed the way that the message was relayed throughout those two characters. It didn't feel, it, it was very on the nose. Like it was very obvious to me, but it felt genuine, I guess. Did it work for you guys? Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. And, uh, and I'm, I think we'll probably get into this in a bit. Uh, I do similarly have some issues with just the, the arc of her character and her her growth over the course of the movie um but i i do think just the general presentation of you know jude law who is set up as like her mentor figure uh has basically just been gaslighting her for years and um and and just yeah him you know tell i think just without uh like putting gender into the dialogue just uh simply just like the the visual of of him saying be less emotional and then her you know blasting his ass into a mountain it's like great that's like that articulates it and visualizes it beautifully and um and yeah i i think uh it it nails it on that level i don't want to go into a huge debate here because i want to keep this with from getting there but i do want to mention and compare and contrast briefly carol danvers and diana prince because I think it's almost impossible not to do this because it was only two years ago that we got Wonder Woman, the first real strongly made female-led superhero film, and now we have Carol Danvers. And these both were carrying some of the same kind of a torch with regards to um, the messages that they were they were putting out there and the, the character that they were going to be representing um, this entire gender that was mis- not represented in comic book films and the way that they wanted to be. I came out of this feeling like the arcs of them were so different because, and, and it kind of accentuated for me what I was, 
I guess, missing out of Carol's. I didn't miss the romance. Just like you guys, like, I love the fact that there's no romance in this movie. That is such an amazing choice. But what we got with Diana was these moments where she saw a baby and being pushed on the side of the street. And she had these experiences that she went through over the course of the film that really seemed to change her and make her feminine. And her femininity really stood out and was, I think, presented as a strength. Whereas I don't know that Brie Larson's femininity was ever addressed. It is this, does this make sense as Carol Danvers? It, I, I think that it yeah. does. Yeah. Okay. But, but also, I mean, I think that's just by nature of who these characters are. Okay. You know, uh, Wonder Woman is someone who comes from an island of only women who is now True. like a fish out of water <laughs> in man's world for the first time. And, um, and Carol Danvers are veers as she's called for much of the, the movie. Um, just doesn't have the culture shock and uh, she she's a so she was a soldier on earth she's a soldier uh on like on the cree homeworld and um and and that's the thing like just her being a woman doesn't really play into any of that and uh yeah. and so and for me it, it, it's like um if they it just wouldn't like i think that works really nicely in wonder woman it, for me it wouldn't have made any sense here no. And um and I I appreciate that, you know, we can we can has have these like there doesn't have to be a model for like a female led superhero movie. It's uh both approaches are are absolutely valid. Right. And if you take the source material, if the source material, excuse me, if the source material is successful, you don't need to change it to try to fit some kind of social agenda. I've read Kelly Sue DeConnick's Captain Marvel, uh at least the first, I think maybe first year's worth and it's a solid story it's a solid comic and there are there are playful moments where her feminist side her female side is on display but it's always to support her captain marvel-esque and in both she is she is carol danvers equally as much as she's captain marvel and i i love that to me it was it gave me a nod to the whole clark kent superman duality that one is just as important as another and her identity as carol danvers matters equally as much as her identity as captain marvel which by the way she's never described that way until i think the very end and that's in in fury's little one-liner there but yeah I, i think you're exactly right her role has always been one of military background and so nothing was different when she was on kree as she was on earth I love the fact that she's stoic because this is coming from a civilian. So Aaron, you could probably speak to this, that military background. I work with military guys and they have that stoic kind of, there's, there are two ways to look at things. There's the black way and the white way. There's no middle ground. So even from the very beginning, when she drops into that blockbuster and fury comes out and starts talking to her, she's in military mode. She's in strategic. I've got to protect my identity. I've got to figure out my surroundings. I know about this planet she calls it i can't remember the number or the c53 thank you c53 such rolls off your tongue that way but she completely goes into that military mindset so nothing is inconsistent about her and i think that that's a smart move by the creative team here 
not only sticking to the source material to an extent, but also sticking to the character's motivation. It's one of military strategic protecting the overall mission as opposed to embracing, oh, she's she's a female soldier. Yeah, I, you're right. And that's and that actually kind of plays into, I think, the story themes of the film, right? Is Carol's journey of discovering her identity. And like you just pointed out, there's only minimal identity that is discovered here um, because it is it is told to her by her friends, um, Monica and her daughter, Maria. I think I have those right. Hopefully I got the or is it Maria and her daughter, Monica? There we go. I have yeah. it backwards. Um, and that's pretty much what she she learns of her past that and then the flashbacks that she has of um, the Supreme Intelligence, which <laughs> she has another name, I think, other than Annette Benning and Supreme Intelligence. But I like Supreme Intelligence. So the other big things that I personally felt were present here was this this huge government military deception plot that was going through the film. And I wondered how that worked for you guys. We have this Kree versus Scroll war that ultimately results in a villain, quotes, played by Ben Mendelsohn named Talos, who is a Scroll, And a really interesting twist where we find out that the Kree who have told Carol at all this time that they are, you know, fighting back against the scroll who are the aggressors in reality, they have been lying. It's been fake news. We've been duped by our government into fighting a war for them that uh, they want that we don't necessarily believe in. And so I wondered, did you guys enjoy that? Because that's like the main plot line that drives the progression of the actual conflict throughout the film. I just wondered how that worked for you. I mean, that was my favorite part of the movie. I mean, I went into this movie to totally anticipating like, oh, the villain is going to be Ben Mendelsohn as like the Skrull leader. Okay, uh, that's how it's going to play out. And so um, and so just the reveal of having first just having Talos become uh, a far more fully realized empathetic character than I anticipated like that, that scene where he is, is in, um, is in Maria Rambo's, uh, house and he's got the shake in his hand. What is, that's my favorite visual in the whole movie. It's, it's so good. And men and Mendelssohn, uh, even through the makeup, I think gives a great performance. And also I love the way the scrolls look. It just, it, it's awesome. But I, but yeah, but just like the the reveal that um, that the scrolls are refugees and and that uh, Carol slash Veers um, has basically uh, been on the wrong side of this war the whole time. Um, that I mean, I that all worked beautifully for me. I w- I was so happy to discover that, that was like the real plot of the film. Um, it, it was also surprising for for it, you know, especially like. Again, a lot of these Marvel movies are about stopping a bad guy from getting a glowing thing and having this turn out to be about like, oh, no, um, to try to uh, make up for your past deeds on the wrong side of, of an immoral war and protect refugees. I was like, oh, that this is a really nice surprise. So, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm all about uh, that, like kind of that twist, I guess. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And. I'll tell you, when Ben Mendelsohn starts talking, 
and this is me being, I guess, ethnocentric or whatever, but hearing that Australian accent coming through that Star Trekian makeup while he's sipping that milkshake is just brilliant. I mean, it is so much fun to listen to. It reminded me a lot of, you're going to have to tell me the, the character in Thor Ragnarok, played by the director, uh, Watiki's. Uh, oh, Korg. Yeah, same kind of idea. And I think it's just my appreciation of other accents that aren't Southern American that make that coupled with weird alien makeup just really work for me visually. But the plot itself was really good. It reminded me a lot of the Black Mirror episode Men Against Fire, where you have this deception going on that the reveal is pretty much like, oh, wow. But the weight behind that, I think, feels very, very good. It feels really significant. Like, man, this is a different way we need to look at this race that we're as an audience for the first 45 minutes being told they're bad and no, they're just incomplete. You don't understand who they are and that in their ways of trying to what appears to be deceive their people. They're really just trying to hide. They're trying to hide in the shadows. They're trying to be among groups of people that are apparently safe from this other race. And so looking at it from that perspective, it makes those scenes that we saw earlier stand out in a different way. Yeah. I mean, I I agree. I loved it so, so much. It was my favorite thing as well about the film, just the way that the plot progressed. And I'm a huge Mendelssohn fan. So, you know, him chewing up scenery is just going to always be one of the best things in any movie that he's in. Ready Player One is another great example. I was championing his performance in that and everybody just kind of totally like let it just go right through their memory. Nobody even really talked about it. But I was like, man, he's so good at that type of role. Right. And I love that we get to see him momentarily, not only as Talos, but as Nick Fury's shield boss kind of playing that role, like that duality. Like, and there's the great moment in the, I think it's in the elevator uh, where they're going down and they, he, he has the gaff and he messes up and Nick catches him. And just the way that the facial expressions work on those two, the chemistry between them as two veteran actors, it's, it's brilliant. Um, they play so well, but just, the emotional resonance of his storyline, finding out that he's a refugee. I actually noted that the science officer, and I don't remember his name, sadly, all I remember him as is the science officer, who volunteers to stay behind and be fake so that, or he plays, I don't forget who he, I forgot now who he, what, was it, was he Carol? I think he tried to be Carol, but he stays behind so that when Yonrog comes looking and they end up killing him, but he, he, he did that knowingly. You know what I mean? Like he stays on earth to sacrifice himself so that they can get further and they can actually have a chance to get ahead of this force, this creed that they're coming to look for them. And I just, I don't know, that was really powerful for me. And then obviously learning that there's these, these scroll families, including children and his wife that are locked up and the whole plot line around him discovering that and wanting his child's eyes to be shielded while daddy does some killing of bad guys. I just, that stuff was like, I was getting the feels, you know, when it came to that, that was the part where I was really connecting. And I just thought it was, I, I got, I got nervous. Like I actually held my breath when he got shot. I was like, Oh no. Oh my God. Don't you dare. I would have been really upset if he had not made it through. So I, I enjoyed it too. And just that whole plot of, 
you know, her being essentially weaponized by a government that she didn't have any say in what she was being weaponized to fight. And so there was this duality of the fact that she was being weaponized in the first place and controlled. And then on top of that, this layeredness of who she was being weaponized to fight. And so I think it all played out really well. Um, what about the other relationships? Did you guys like, I guess we have Maria Carroll was pretty strong. Um, I thought that was really good. I liked Nick and Carol, uh, Samuel Jackson, Brie Larson's banter of that interrogation scene. Um, did you guys enjoy their, their, uh, relationship stuff? Yeah. I mean, uh, I could honestly have just watched an entire movie of just, you know, uh, Sam Jackson and Brie Larson just, as, like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, there, it does basically become the long kiss goodnight. And, uh, and I'm like, great. Uh, I'm, I'm all for this. I, I could just, if this were just a movie about them, just breaking into, you know, various government facilities and fighting bad guys and doesn't even need to be a superhero movie. Cool. I'm, I, I'm into that. I think they've got a really nice chemistry and, um, and yeah. And, um, I, uh, I thought, I uh, emotionally, I, I thought the stuff with Maria probably, uh, landed the hardest just because it's maybe the toughest thing about this movie is the fact that uh carol is like you know an, an amnesiac for like most of it and um and so which is but but also she's not like actively trying to uh like find out who she is she's she, she's kind of like you know trying to just like you know find this woman just uh, so that she can stop the scrolls and so um and so she's not providing a lot of the the emotion that you think might come from like oh not knowing your past and so i thought that maria really delivered a lot of that and so i felt like uh, i one of the more powerful moments in the movie is just her reaction upon seeing carol and uh and and you get a sense of like that whole history between them and um and yeah, I, I, uh, for me that, uh, that all definitely worked. Yeah, me too. I think both of those pairings were really, really strong, entertaining. And, um, for my money, I wanted more of Coulson, but I understand why he was, you know, relegated to new guy status and only had a couple of scenes, but his scenes were significant. I love the moment where he calls in the fact that they've escaped, like he lets them go. And that conversation just after where he's given his little kind of, his little verbal verbal nod of like, hey, he's a he's a great asset, you know. I guess he doesn't hate me right now, and I think it it speaks a lot to his character because he was one of the characters I fell in love with up through Avengers, and why I first started watching uh, Agents of Shield was because I love Clark Gregg. I think he's I think he's a fantastic actor. I loved him in his couple of episodes of The West Wing that he was on. He played a similar kind of character of a of a Secret Service person, but I like the fact that. He gets a little bit of screen time and enough here to kind of give us a little bit more of his backstory so we can catch some of the young, naive Coulson. Yeah, that was weird for me because I liked it, but I, it was hard because I didn't know where – I didn't know what the relationship for Nick Fury and Coulson was at the beginning of the movie. So right. my assumption was when I saw him, they know each other, they're working together, but they really didn't have that relationship because of the scene that you're talking about where Carol's like – why did that guy just lie for us and like save us? And that's when Fury's like, I don't know, I guess he likes me. You know, like that seems to be the moment where their relationship becomes something more. Right. And I liked getting that, but I wasn't 
fully understanding that we didn't have that yet. <laughs> right. So I think like Carol, we have gaps as an audience of like, hey, we're getting hints of what the past is of these characters that we either already know and love or that we're getting to know. And like you were saying, Patrick, having more of that, maybe having an offshoot, kind of like what we're getting with Fast and the Furious with Hobbs and Shaw. Maybe we're going to get a, you know, get a, 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 a buddy cop movie with, um, you know, with, with Fury and Coulson. That would be kind of fun. Just no superpowered stuff. Just yeah, them. Just them. You know, wow. Just like, I don't know, catching. No, wait, wait. Just make the fugitive. Oh, but, yes. with them, but with them as like, like in the Tommy Lee Jones role. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. A remake That'd of the nice. fugitive, but name it something different and give them their same character. So perfect. There we go. <laughs> and Michael Bay can direct. No. no. <laughs> wait a minute. Slow down. Slow down. Slow, slow your roll. <laughs> I, I like the character stuff too. I really enjoyed Maria and Monica, both um, their characters and that their, their interaction is what was able to put the Carol Danvers character into the place where I started caring more and ultimately connecting with because of the stuff that Maria tells her and the reactions, like you said, that Maria has to her appearance. That scene with her daughter, Monica, where she's, picking the color of the suit on the porch. That was awesome. Just, I, I thought that was, a, again, a great subtle way to show a little girl looking up to a superhero and being influenced by and impacted by someone and having this relationship and, and thinking that she's just my aunt, right? She's just, you know, this, this woman that I grew up with that I think of as someone that I, you know, looked up to. And she's my superhero now. And I just think that is a really cool visual. And I think that played out really well. And, I, and the actress, God help me, of course, I forgot to write down her name. But the actress for Maria, I think she did a really good job. Like, I f just totally enjoyed it. I wasn't familiar with her at all until this. Uh, I think, I is, it, is it uh, Lashana Lynch? I think that's it. Yep. I think that's I it. Think but that's I was, it. I was very impressed by her and definitely going to be looking out for her in the future. Well... The last thing I want to talk about before we hit connecting points really is just where do we go from here? Um, Captain Marvel's role in Endgame, it's coming. It's right around the corner. The first thing that I thought of was, is she too OP or overprotective for you non-nerds? And I want to read this comment. This is what my daughter said to me as soon as the movie ended. She turned to me and she said, I think if we've learned anything here today... It's that when she shows up in Endgame, it's all over in five minutes. And I was like, well, that is exactly what they have wanted us to believe. It also uh, sounds by like the daughter by saying that. It also sounds it does, like the daughter. Doesn't it? <laughs> it like, even the like grammar in that yeah. sentence definitely is my daughter, for sure. Yeah. Um, for those who know her. But, you know, she loved this, by the way. Just a quick offshoot. But my daughter's almost 16 now. She liked this a little more than Wonder Woman. She said um, she just really enjoyed the action and the way in which the messaging worked. She didn't feel like it was too on the nose um, for her. And she liked the representation. She loved that there was no romantic interest for the character as well. And I thought that was cool coming from my daughter. She didn't want that. She didn't need that. She just wanted to see her kick butt and, you know, turn glowy and blow up spaceships and stuff. So um, that was really cool, but she liked it. Anyway, she, she said immediately on her own accord, wow, holy cow, this girl's powerful. So where do we go, guys? Patrick, what do you think? Like, what's going to happen in Endgame? Well, first of all, why am I the guest and not your daughter? She, we've had this conversation. 
I am, a, I am a promoter of this. I'm like, when I went to Seattle, I was like, when are you coming <laughs> on the show, Ashlyn? Why don't you come on, Captain Marvel? We're working on it. She has gone through a phase in the last, I'd say, year and a half of really breaking out of an introverted kind of personality. She joined um, FBLA, Future Business Leaders of America Club, when she started ninth grade. And she's this year, she's elevated to now she's an officer in the club and she's just like breaking out of her shell. So I think we're getting closer to that point. She did ask me, she's like, am I going to be quoted on the podcast? And I was like, yes. And she's like, all right, then good. So I think she's getting to the point where she's about ready for that. Um, and I'm excited for the day that that, that comes. But yeah, it does. It does come up quite often when we when we're talking. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would look. I'm happy to be here, but I also I would uh, love to hear her take on on all of this. Um, but to answer your original question about like where do we go from here, um, I mean, first of all, like as much as I would laugh hysterically if Endgame was actually a five minute movie, like with just two hours of a black screen at the end, and it uh, it did just end right away. But yeah, I mean, like, I think the idea of her being, like, overpowered is, it's, like, not a concern, because this is all fiction, and, uh, I mean, they want there to be, like, suspense uh, in the actual movie, and honestly, the stuff that she does in the third act, I'm like, is that that much, like, more powerful than Thor? I'm not concerned about that. I, I, I think, honestly... I am curious now what she did, like what the character did for 20 years between movies, uh, because clearly she doesn't seem to have aged. And I mean, it's like, look, the thing that Marvel is just very good at is making you like the characters and then making you really want to see all the characters interact. Like, I mean, like Goose and Rocket. Cause that's what I want. Yeah. Yeah. Like I want to see that, but it's, it's like, like in infinity war, like, None of my favorite stuff in that movie is, like, action stuff. It's all just the characters meeting and their personalities bouncing off each other. I am looking forward to just seeing Brie Larson in scenes with, like, you know, Mark Ruffalo and seeing how they bounce off each other and seeing the dynamics between the two captains. Because, yeah, I mean, I think, like like one of you guys said earlier on, she's basically just going to be another Avenger now in Endgame. And um, I'm just... I'm also curious to see, like, if they'll show how her character has developed over the past 20 years, because, you know, she isn't really, like, complete until the end of this movie. Uh, she's been kind of figuring out who she is this whole time. And so, like, part of me wishes we could just get another solo Captain Marvel movie with Captain Marvel, like, you know, fully formed and doing her thing before Endgame. But I'm just looking forward to seeing, like, you know, where that character is now and 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 what she's like. Uh, with now that we've gone through all the origin stuff. Yeah, I think that we we said this earlier that this movie really kind of feels like a long trailer because of what we already know, and we know the fact that she's going to be a pivotal player in Endgame. So. It's almost like watching Solo for me from last year. I already knew from dialogue from the original Star Wars movies about the Kessel Run and about all these different things. But for me, I could give or take the fact that you're filling in the gaps for me narratively. You're, you're showing me these things. You're showing me the Kessel Run. And I think that's what we're getting here with Captain Marvel. We're getting backstory. We're like, oh, okay, who is this Captain Marvel character? I think, personally, we could have done without this movie 
and she would have still been pivotal to the upcoming plot of of Endgame. Um, but I think the fact is, fans want this. If they're if you're going to show us a character that's going to have significance, give her her own movie, and for marketing purposes, bring it out a month before. In fact, I was telling Aaron this. There was a woman sitting next to me with her significant other during the mid credit scene, and she she said right after it was over, that was effing perfect. This is the best Marvel movie. And <laughs> and I yep. couldn't help but just kind of yep. smile. And I was like, okay, really? Uh, also, language. <laughs> you know, it's just if, – if that's going to be your exclamation point – and I'm sure she was enjoying it because she kept talking to him about – how Marvel has been so successful. Like, I love that they did this and they did that. And remember in Avengers, they did that. And I'm like, yeah, remember Avengers? Like one of the really the best Marvel movies out there. And, but, <laughs> but that, that tells me, and I was not saying this because I didn't want to get my butt kicked because, you know, this guy was probably twice my size. These are all the things I was thinking about as I was leaving the theater to a safe space. <laughs> but it, it really kind of informed the fact that we needed that connection. And that mid credit scene, I think, was what people were waiting for, honestly. It was a decent movie, but I've, I've had people on social media say the two moments that people pl- applauded were the Stan Lee tribute and the mid credit scene. And rightly so, because, because Infinity War put such a big expectation on Captain Marvel. And so we get all this stuff that really doesn't matter. And the one moment where she shows up and she's like, where's Fury? And I'm like, yeah! So I think it's I think it's safe to say that she's going to be significant, but I wasn't given any more information than before I saw the movie. Well, I ran that quote by one of our friends, um, E-Man, Emmanuel Noiset, who does E-Man's movie reviews, who's kind of our comic book go to guy in the world. And he said he, he was laughing, of course, but he said, you know, don't expect her to have the role that we may all think and i you nailed it right there patch when you said she's just going to be another avenger i got caught up in the hype too and i've been thinking oh well they they just introduced her she's the latest one she's going to come in and save the day he said you got to remember this is the end of the avengers saga this is their story this is tony you know cap like this is their story this is not anybody else's and they're not going to like give the big spotlight moments to a brand new character like she may she's going to have an impact but don't think she's going to suddenly swoop in and take all of the you know the the emphasis out of the hands of steve and tony because it's it's them it's their ending for the most part um both the you know story-wise and then also when you look at the bigger picture of where the mcu is going structurally into their new phase if we have actor changes or you know character deaths etc i've read that Captain Marvel is being looked at as the potentially successor of, of the MCU, like as we have now, as the Tony to Steve successor, as the person that could lead the next wave of team characters. And I do have my doubts about that, frankly. This one did not give me enough to make me say, okay, I could see her being the head of this franchise and, you know, the focal point of it going forward yeah i think she could be a significant chess piece in this she's potential again i go back to potential like i don't know i I just haven't seen enough to know i know i know enough from her previous acting performances that she's got the chops for it she's an incredibly talented actress Mm -hmm. 
I just didn't get to see it in this movie right. in a way that made me believe it. Yeah, I, I mean, like, that's why I'm so anxious to see her just in a movie where, you know, she doesn't have amnesia and uh, and where she's just, like, kind of doing her thing. Because I her, her arc in this movie does get saddled with, like, dealing with a lot of, of other stuff like that where she's not fully herself for a lot of it. And so, like... I've also heard the thing about like her being a you know the sort of the successor to like you know Steve or Tony or one of those main guys, and um I mean like I just I don't have enough to go off of yet. I mean obviously I'm sure Brie Larson uh, is is capable of that. I just want to see you know more of Carol Danvers being a lead character, like uh, being a superhero, because look these are all fictional characters. Like I uh, you know. I'm I'm sure with like the the right like writers and directors like she absolutely could like lead this franchise for the next decade. Well, we will find out, and it's not going to be too long before we start getting those answers because Endgame is right around the corner. Gosh, it's like what a month, two months, just under two months now. It's like late April, late April, month and a half. Yeah. Oh man. Oh boy. Well, is there anything else uh, Captain Marvel related that we missed that anybody wants to touch on before we go into connecting points? I'm really trying to think here. I felt like I had another point and it's totally gone. No, <laughs> carry on. Can we criticize the fact that she stole a motorcycle and clothes off of a mannequin and that's not very superhero worthy in my book? But I think it's very 90s. It's good stuff. <laughs> it is. But she's also the- a, like a soldier on a trash planet and she goes because i actually i mean here's here's a key, a key point of, of her arc that is before she like acknowledges like the human part of her these are not her people by the oh, end yeah. at the end of the movie i don't think she'd do that yeah true. i don't either true i don't I, either the audience i was with did get a nice chuckle when they referred to the planet as the trash planet it's a real trashy planet and they're like yeah it was or something like that oh yeah and also wow. i just want i want to single out that security guard in the car outside Blockbuster, it just he's great, just yeah. just great cast. For, <laughs> like, for the first human that she meets, you couldn't do better than that guy. Unless it was Paul Blart. I was the, thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> Paul Blart, he was the mall cop that the guy was telling about. He was like, "There's a there's a mall cop across the street," and I was like, "It's Paul Blart." And he's just there. <laughs> The he MCU comes on his expands. Segway. Coming on his segue to get this, you, Carol. This is this is where <laughs> this is this is where the buddy cop movie can come in. You got oh Paul gosh. Blart. He's gonna be a character they meet. Okay. Paul, Paul Blart, cosmic cop. Yeah. I mean <sighs> I mean I would watch that in a heartbeat. <laughs> I mean I I have I have never seen a Paul Blart movie, but it doesn't matter. Just like I I love this idea. <laughs> the Marvel Studios logo at the front of it and people will flock to it. That's true. That's like the ultimate test of like how bankable a brand is Marvel. Can you put it in front of Paul Blart three, and will it still make a billion dollars? It will. I'm. I submit that it will. Well, Kevin Feige, if you're listening, we've thrown down the gauntlet, the Infinity One. From one Kevin to another, let's make (laughs) this happen. (laughs) All right. Well, gents, let's get into our connecting points then, and this is. Of course, the moments that we all most emotionally resonated with something in the film. And as usual, Patrick, we're going to ask you to go ahead and share yours first. I am happy to. So there were multiple moments in the movie that felt to me like 
they should have hit me a bit more than they did. And okay, uh, let me put it this way, because I, I don't want to step on anyone's toes with your other connecting points. Um, I think the third act has a lot of really great emotional beats that I just wish had been set up better uh, earlier on in the movie so that they might land harder. And so for me, actually, I think the moment that hit me the hardest was in the the flashback to the crash scene where Carol and Annette Benning's character, whose name I'm blanking on, who is actually a Cree, but where the aircraft they're in, it crashes down, and then the reveal uh, that Jan Rog, played by Jude Law, previously thought to be Carol's mentor figure and just a, a good guy, uh, is actually evil. And and the guy who has been manipulating her this whole time, uh, and 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 the guy who was actually trying to stop Annette Benning from getting off the planet, because I so trusted Jude Law's character for the movie up to that point. I mean, I like Jude Law as an actor, and I, uh, and yeah, you know, he just he was dropping the sort of like Zen, uh, you know, like self help aphorisms uh, when talking to her, and I was like, yeah, this guy seems trustworthy and he's just she's trying to get back to him the whole time and and that moment of just of betrayal of realizing the like the person you trust the most has actually it is the person who put you in this position in the first place is responsible for everything bad that's happened to you in the last six years and um i thought that that was really well executed i thought that 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 hit really hard and and yeah that is my connecting point yeah, that's good stuff. And it, you know, it's funny, it's taking until right now when we're probably done talking about her for me to remember that her name is Lawson. Right. What, what <laughs> what's her first name? I that no, Mrs. See, no I don't Mrs. know that. Lawson. <laughs> wait, Ms. wait. It's Annette. It's okay, guys. I've got it right. Ah, Fot- damn it. On IMDb, no. she's only credited as Supreme Intelligence. No. IMDb lets us down again. It did. Ah. <laughs> oh. But yeah, that is absolutely a very good statement right there. I love that you brought that up because you're right. Without her feeling that betrayal, nothing can land going forward. And it's able to elevate and escalate from there. We're able to start caring more about her because we do start to really feel for her because she's had this loss and she now like can put a face to it and understand it and comprehend it and she has to deal with it emotionally right and so it gives way to her kind of journey going forward so i like that as well patrick what about or patch what about you <laughs> <laughs> patrick round two i really enjoyed the sequence just prior to when carol goes like full captain marvel and the conversation with the supreme intelligence when she was i guess jacked in is that what i could you can call it and one of the big themes the film plays with is the fact that carol is trying to uncover who she is. She's got that, you know, that amnesia that you mentioned, Patrick. And from the beginning of the story, she goes on this journey of self-discovery, uncovering her past to reconcile who she is in the present, or in our case, the past, because it's the 90s. But it's in this moment where I thought there were some really smart choices done visually to help reinforce that resolution of who she was, embracing her humanity. I especially like the repetitive sequence of her getting back up after we see that series of shots where she's falling off of a rope or when she falls off of a go-kart. 
all the moments where she has failed and she finishes up with that the result of those sequences we we have now we're now seeing the results of those of her actually getting back up you know she's been thrown at in baseball and she gets back up she gets thrown off the the go-kart and she gets back up and all these things that are very much on the nose i fully admit that that's a very emotionally powerful emotionally manipulative scene but i liked how it was shot i liked the way in which it was told it didn't feel of all the hokiness it didn't feel hokey to me and and that was a surprise it was the most mind-blowing moment in movie history but it has that emotional weight and it's narratively narratively consistent in a movie that does struggle with those things of course the explanation point of her saying my name is carol uh came across somewhat hokey but that's okay but i was glad that the big line that came up was her saying you're right i'm only human and that was a point of resolution for me i like whether it was an obvious statement or whether it needed to be held back, I like the fact that we get a visual exclamation point to that journey and her basically saying, okay, I'm comfortable with who I am. I'm confident in who I am. And now, ironically, I can embrace the superheroic side of me. Yeah, that's good stuff. I like that too. Um, the montage, it made me want to know why her dad was so awful to her and where her dad disappeared to. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? Where is this brother and this dad at? Gaps. Uh, gaps. More gaps. So Captain Marvel 2. Uh, maybe that's when we'll far, find out. Far from home. Captain Marvel, far from home. Well, very far from home. Exactly. <laughs> Captain Marvel 2. All right. Well, my connecting point is related to that relationship that she had with Maria that I mentioned earlier and how strong that affected me. It was almost the stuff with Talos and his family, but I think ultimately this is Carol's story. And yes, Talos is a, a very strong secondary character that has that arc and that twist and some emotional stuff to deal with with his family being rescued. But this is about Carol discovering who she is, and there's so many great conversations and scenes with her and Maria and Monica. Lots of awesomely written dialogue, in my opinion. But the biggest one was when Maria affirms who Carol is. I usually don't like it when someone is told something. I like to be shown the change. But because of the relationship of Maria and Carol, this landed big time for me. And I was feverishly scribbling in my screening, trying to write down this whole quote because it was so good. And I wanted to get it. So I may not have it all perfectly right, and I apologize for that. But essentially, what Maria ends up telling Carol is, and this is when Carol is trying to figure out who she is. She's she's having questions. She's debating you know, whether or not to embrace herself. Maria says, you are Carol Danvers, my best friend. You're smart and you're funny. You have always supported me. And you were the most per powerful person I knew way before you could shoot fire from your fists. Do you hear me? And I honestly started to tear up at this point because I just couldn't imagine having amnesia or not being able to piece together memories of who I am and to figure those things out. And so you have this character, Carol, who's struggling to control her powers. And it would really be easy, I think, to let those define who she is. And that's where we were headed but in this moment, I think Maria brings it back down to that personal level um, and to her humanity. 
Because what is makes us human? This relationship that she has with this friend. And having a friend like her to help navigate this crisis that she's going through of her identity, I think it's critical to her development and who she ultimately becomes. And I think it's just portrayed really beautiful. Um, and it, it's just, you know, it supports the film's pro emotion message, which is really what we see multiple times with, you know, Jude Law telling her to be emotionless and her embracing her feelings, which is what made me really happy about this film's themes because, you know, that's what we do here is embrace our feelings. And that's what Carol was being encouraged to do by Maria. And I just, I loved it. I thought it was so sweet. And especially that line at the very end, the, the tacked on, you know, do you hear me? Like the asking for a callback, you know, like there's a class I took in at work called listen first. And some of you may have know what this is, this training. It's a, a concept that teaches you how to listen to other people when you're talking and you would think that that's like kind of a no brainer, but it's really not. It teaches you how to specifically slow yourself down. You know, what I hear you saying is, and you're trying to look for those confirmational callbacks to make sure that people are hearing you and knowing what you're saying. And that's what Carol is. That's what Maria is doing to Carol here. She's making sure that she has heard that affirmation of her identity. It's just, just a really strong moment for me. Fantastic, man. It's a great scene. Came very close to picking that one myself. Oh, good. Well, that makes me happy. One of your ten. So I'm glad that I was able to find one. Well, this has been fun, guys. We didn't talk about Goose enough because I love Goose. And like I said briefly, I want a Goose and Rocket spinoff. Actually, I'm just really excited to see those two characters interact. I know they interact in the comics. It has been shown to me in various stages. I have been told I don't care. I don't want to see it. I want to be surprised by how... Bradley Cooper's version interacts with this goose character in infinity or in game. I guess it would be um, just super stoked for that. Dude, we have, we have come up with at least three major feature spinoffs from the MCU <laughs> that I think have viability. So you heard it here first folks, the next wave of Marvel spinoffs is coming from this podcast right here. Heck yeah. Maybe the idea guys. Yeah, do, do the idea guys get paid or if we don't write them or direct them or film them? <laughs> the lawyers will figure that out. Okay, good deal. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for spending some time with us going through this. This has been fun. I'm so glad to to have you back and um, it won't be the last time. Once again, though, where can people find your videos and your creative endeavors on YouTube? Of course, yeah. And again, uh, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, It's been a blast chatting with you guys. Uh, you can see the videos that I make at youtube.com slash Patrick H. Willems. I am currently in the thick of a very big three-part MCU project, the, the, the last MCU-related video I'll ever make, so I'm putting it all in there. Uh, so check that out. And, uh, and my currently running podcast is also very related. It's called The Infinity Podcast, and it uh, examines pop culture through the lens of the Marvel Cinematic Universe because it connects to literally everything. And that's everywhere that you can get podcasts. And those are, I think, the primary things that I've got going on right now. Is your other podcast that is so cool, is it still out there for people to find? Oh, 
So my other podcast, the one that's on a hiatus right now, it's called We Heart Hartnett. It explores the filmography of the actor Josh Hartnett movie by movie. It wrapped up late last year because we literally watched every single thing Josh Hartnett was ever in. Uh, so if you want the the encyclopedic comprehensive evaluation of the man's entire career to date, check out that podcast. And it will be coming back in a with a new name following a, a new actor in the near future. And that's all I can say about that. Ooh, that's a, not tease. a tease. Yeah, I know, man. A... <laughs> and scene. <no. laughs> Fade to black. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, guys, can you, when editing this, just like drop in some some really ominous music there to get people yeah. extra hyped? <laughs> you guys. Well, that's all from us. There we go. We'll just, just end it right there. <laughs> As always, this has really been a ton of fun. Um, listeners, be sure to check us out later this week where we will be bringing you another FF Plus and we're going to be reviewing The Wedding Guest as well as some other stuff too. So be sure to listen for that. And then later that week, this next week, our main show review will be covering Five Feet Apart. Both are going to be really fantastic and I'm excited about that one for sure. Aaron Patrick, thanks you guys for a great conversation and we'll talk soon. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filled.